0: I had a dream quite some time ago, and so maybe you've heard me tell this dream before. Um, I feel like I've brought it up, in the, at least in like the prayer room, a number of times, um, but maybe it's been a while. I had a dream once that I was on, it was more than a path. It was in the woods, but it was like a, a country road. I mean, it was pretty broad, maybe like as broad as like, you know, like the row of chairs on one side. And I was going along and the whole path was just full of like pits, like not like you'd fall in them and get hurt kind of pits. Um, and I'm walking and like, it's fine. I, I'm, I didn't have a car. It was just me walking and I was avoiding the pits. And then in my dream, um, the night started to come <laughs> and I had no light. And I'm not out of the woods. I am, like, on the path, but it's full of holes. And then at some point, like, I'm walking as long as I can, and then at some point I just have to stop because I I don't have a light. And I can't go any further, and if I do, I'm going to fall and hurt myself in one of these pits. And so, um, and I, I just... It stuck with me. I think it was very sobering to me in the moment. And it felt really real, like the fear, um, like sometimes you have a dream and it's like it's real, like, like how you would really feel if you were alone in the woods on a, and you can't go any further, that I've just felt it um, and like the weight of that emotion, it kind of stuck with me. And I think that's one of the reasons that God talks to us through dreams. It's a way to have, touch us with emotion in a really um, like direct way. Um, and so it is something, it is a door that the Lord opened for me to begin to walk through and to take really seriously that the, the earth is growing darker. And at some point, if you don't have light, you just, you don't have light. Like if there's no oil in the lamp, there's no oil in the lamp. And it's the ramifications are really serious and there are pits and there are perils and you will fall into them. And um, and how practical that message was. Um, and so we know that the Lord um, it says that he's called us out of darkness and he's conveyed us into the kingdom of his son, which is the kingdom of light. And I just want to talk about part of being conveyed out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light is... Um, is the light of our countenance. So that's what I'm going to be talking about this morning is the light of our countenance. And and your countenance, if you don't know what that means, it just is, it's your face, it's your demeanor. I wrote down a couple of things. Oh, yeah, it's your vibe. It's your, I don't know. That's not a very holy word, right? <laughs> Dave is cringing that I just said it's your vibe. It is like people can look at you and be like, whoa, you mad, <laughs> You're having a good day. You know, it's your countenance, the light of your countenance and where it's coming from. So go ahead um, to, I'm going to flip so much, you guys. Let's go to Genesis 4. Let's start at the very beginning. And the first, well, probably not the very first fallen countenance. Adam and Eve would be the first People to have a fallen countenance. So this is the story of Cain and when he, um, what happens when his countenance falls. Um, let's see. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. He was Mayod. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do now, do well it lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Um he doesn't he doesn't really give him a hug. He comes and asks him a question, like, hey, what's going on? Like, what has happened? Your countenance has fallen. flip to um, let's go to Psalms 43 another passage that's talking about a fallen countenance I put little tabs in my Bible it's not helping (laughs) at the end of the Psalm in verse 5 it says why are you cast down on my soul and why are you disquieted within me hope in God. I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance in my God. And if you go, um, it's a really short psalm, so I'll just go back and read what's going on that kind of gets the psalmist to this conclusion of asking himself, like self, what's going on? Why are you, why are you downcast? And um, go back to the beginning, it says, vindicate me, O God, and please plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the Deceitful and unjust man, for you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? So there's an external force coming against him and it is affecting his countenance, right? Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me, let them bring me to your holy heaven into your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and on the harp I will praise you. O oh God, my God, why are you downcast? O oh my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. I woke up one morning. I am the most... Um, it's amazing to me. I am the most probably angry. I'm the most... Fussy. I am the most, just whatever it is, anxious or mad or afraid, whatever I'm feeling, I am the most of that the second my eyes open. And it is amazing to me. And, and it doesn't, I could have been having funny, great dreams all night. It doesn't matter. Like It's not like I was, a, oh, uh, I remember my dreams. <laughs> I dream a lot and I remember my dreams. And it's not necessarily that I had bad dreams all night and I woke up on the wrong side of the bed, but my, I tell you what, my eyes pop open regularly and everything that was like all batters that were on deck it's like they all show up it's like they built up overnight and they show up like ready to go first thing in the morning I don't know if this happens to anybody else but it is amazing to me so it is often I will wake up and I will be in prayer immediately because immediately I'm thinking of how mad I am about this or that, and, uh, I love Alice, and she goes, Wow, <laughs> like it's not a fun way to wake up, but often, like before my eyes are open, I'm praying, and I woke up I told Tom this, so it's been within probably the last three weeks, and i was I prayed, and i it was like both of these. Both of these and I didn 't realize what I was combining, but it was this encounter that um, Cain was having with God and this psalmist um, that says, "Why are you cast down on my soul?" and it 's like I was praying both of them together and and I was asking myself like, "Why are you downcast all my soul and then the it's like the Lord was filling in the other line, which was like, "If you do good, you 're fine like do right i'm just I'm, I'm telling you that you're not doing right." And, um, and so, like, the Holy Spirit combined those verses for me, and I, I woke up praying them one morning. And so he's been talking to me about the light of my countenance um, for a, a few weeks. It, maybe it's been, like, a month now. And um, just two things I want to highlight. Um, Cain's trouble, like, it's really clear to see it was, like, an internal thing. Like, he's mad, did Abel do anything wrong? No, he didn't do anything wrong. Like nobody did anything wrong except there was a wrong thing going on inside of him and he did not like being told that he was wrong about it and that God was like, it's my prerogative. It's it's just, it's not your prerogative to tell me what kind of sacrifice I'm going to accept and I'm telling you it's not, but I just told you it's not. So what is your issue that you can't go, oh, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. again. Right, and then in the Psalm in Psalm 43, though it's external, it's all this stuff on the outside that's coming against him. But it's the same kind of that same fallen countenance. In both, God asks why. um, You know, it's actually God talking to Cain. Why? And but on the inside, um, the Holy Spirit has inspired this person to say, "Why are you cast down, O my soul?" And it's a rhetorical question, and it's meant to move us to specific answers. Have you ever thought, hey, I know God. What is my issue? You, re- like, you sing the songs or you read the verses about like freedom and joy and peace. And do you ever have those days where you are like, Lord, I... I Maybe I was happy before, but oh my goodness, like what is the issue? I especially feel it because we're a house of prayer and we're here so much. And sometimes it's like um, the void of joy is so highlighted because we have so much opportunity to move into the joy of the Lord. And it's like, where is this disconnect I had, um, I I wake up angry. (laughs) So I have more than one story to tell you about waking up mad and going right into um, conversation with the Lord. But recently I woke up and I'm not kidding. My eyes are like, I rolled over. My eyes are not even open and a situation just kind of flooded back. And, And what the Lord was just showing me, he's like, you are like a sandwich of the external pressure and this internal mess that you have. People are just kind of like a sandwich, and you've got like this thing pressing on you, but also you're in torment because you got stuff inside that you know isn't quite right. And and I woke up with that. I'm like I'm I'm having a, a conflict about this thing. And I'm really wrestling with it. And I've got probably some of my own junk, but it's not like completely me. You know what I'm saying? It's like all the things where you're like, well, it's probably not totally my fault, but it's probably some of my fault. Um, And I'm just in like this pressure of this sandwich between them. And the Holy Spirit was so generous immediately. Before my eyes are open, before I'm out of bed, he showed me a whiteboard, a big whiteboard like in a classroom, and Jesus and I are standing there, and they're just writing on it in red, and he just looks at me, and he takes the eraser, and he just wipes it clean. And I was like, okay, I'm forgiven by you. It doesn't mean that this other external situation has completely ended or that you know, maybe you and I are going to have a conversation about how I'm wrong. And maybe they, I mean, the other people may not ever forgive me, which is a horrible thing to feel like because we want to feel that clean slate with people. And it is impossible. Nobody can forgive you like God. But I just, like, He just helped me to settle into okay, if you say that my slate is clean, like you have erased it and I'm good, I'm not going to walk with shame and condemnation today. And we actually spent, you know, the Lord and I throughout the day had a really important conversation where he, um, it took the pressure off of whatever was external. And it gave me peace to let him talk to me about what was going on inside. And actually my heart moved, you know what I mean? Like, Um, I I just think I think of like a chiropractic adjustment like sometimes I go into the chiropractor and she's like wow you've had a week (laughs) you're really tense and sometimes she just says it my lady she says it in a way where she's like wow what I'm doing (laughs) you need a massage before you come here because you're so tense I cannot move you you are unmovable but but because the Lord had assured me that there was he was not he was not feeling a way about me. I was like, okay, well, let's talk about it then. If you're not, if you're not, if you're not mad at me, if you're not um, alarmed at my sin, if you're not in a panic, if you're not impatient, if you're not worried that I'm not going to get it all worked out, well, okay, like let's let's talk about that. And I actually like a like the chiropractor pushes and just and it moves, and like there's healing. When we deal with everything that's outside is so loud, everything that's outside is literally before our eyes. It feels like that is the pressing, like in this sandwich of what's inside and what's coming from the outside, it feels like what's outside is so much more important because it's so loud and it's pressing. You know what I mean? Like, if it's I'm in a fight with Tom, or we've got bills that we don't know how we're going to pay, or we're just busy, it's, it's, it's not always even bad. It's like, maybe we're just busy. It's the end of the school year stuff, and it's just like, it's so before you, and it's pushing on you, but really, like, you, we're not equipped to deal with what's on the outside, until we come into a place of peace on the inside, until our soul is quieted and calmed with the Lord. And it is like this this poverty of spirit. Like I needed that morning when I saw the Lord and, you know, like dealing with my sin, right? When he wiped it clean, he had to do that for me. And I could feel it. And it puts you in this poverty of spirit, place where you can have mercy for other people instead of knowing I should have mercy and I should have love for other people and I can't get there. If you cannot get there, it is because you're not coming from a place of faith and hope and poverty of spirit on the inside. You ever have certain things that'll happen I feel like this in restaurants because I've waited tables and I've worked in I've worked in actually a number of restaurants I can walk into especially um, fast food or really like this like anything where um, a person not coming to work and the whole thing just falls apart like because they run such a skeleton crew in those places if you've worked in one of those you know you know when to walk right back out. You're like, they are so overwhelmed. Let's not put this on their plate. We're walking right back out. There's a bus full of kids out here. Like, they're missing somebody. It's missing from the line. Let's just not do that to them. You know how to have mercy for them because I've been in that position before. And have you ever, like, there's just certain sins that you're like, oh, yeah, you know? If somebody's like, man, I'm I got trouble with my kids, and and like it's worrying me, and I'm scared about it. If you have had kids and you've had a bunch of trouble with them, and you're like, I know that one, and you don't get surprised about it, and you have mercy for it, and then other things, mm -mm. like you just you're just like, "Uh uh-uh, what are you doing? That's not okay. (laughs) That ain't okay, right? A, A drug addict has mercy for another drug addict. Me? I haven't. I'm struggle with that. I'm just like, stop. <laughs> Why can't you stop? Stop it. It's a choice. love love is the goal. Right? Love God, love other people. Um But there's like actually a process to get to love and it has to start with faith and hope, which are those internal things. Do you know what I mean? Like love is this outward flow, but you cannot flow outward unless you've, you have faith and we have faith by having a testimony. Like I have, you know, I have faith that God is going to provide, but I've got, um, I've got experiences under my belt that he's provide like certain ways that he's provided, right? Because so now you've built up faith and it actually becomes kind of um, like you're cheating on God if you won't just admit that he will provide for you when you have enough evidence built up. Like He's he doesn't think it's cute. But the first time when you're... 18 years old and you're living on your own and you don't know how you're going to pay anything like the Lord is merciful. You know what I mean? So we start building up faith and then our eyesight ought to be changed because now we have hope. So when you come from a place of faith and hope, then you can flow with love. So he told me this this morning. He told me, John, if the only people that you can manage to love are those people who don't push any of your buttons... Hey, like if you can't love the people in your house, the people in your church, the people, you know, maybe your coworkers that you work really close with and talk to and see every day, but you're really like, I love people. I feed the homeless. Okay. Do you really love people? Like the people that you get to go and be like, I love you. Here's some food. I'm going to give you a hug. And then you, and then you, i like, if you can't love the people that push your buttons, maybe we don't, maybe we don't love My segues in this message are not good. Let's go to Psalm 121. The light of our countenance is completely an issue about where, where our eyes are. It really doesn't have that much to do with what's going on out on the outside of us. It has to do with where our gaze is falling. Psalm 121 says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither sleep nor slumber. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and evermore. I will lift my eyes up to the hill. We've been talking a lot about um, being in heaven, a lot. We've been talking about it for years, but for me, it just feels like I just had a day when we were... I don't even know if it was church or we were just in the prayer room. I just, something clicked. It was, again, that like chiropractic adjustment where like something just moved for me, like the Lord opened a door and I just had this visual of like clouds in my little head, like up into heaven. And um, I've I've actually had a dream of heaven once and just like the brilliance of the light that's there. And I was, and and just like this little vision that the Lord gave me that I keep reaching for, like, Lord, I want my head to pop from the earth up into heaven so that i can see i like i can have perspective i can be where um where there's this perfect light and love and there's and it's full of hope and it's full of faith and i can put my trust in you and i would like to know what you're doing and what you're talking about all of this stuff and so this is what we're doing in the prayer room is we're practicing taking our eyes f- from being in front of us up into heaven. So the natural posture of the flesh is that your eyes are on the ground. The natural posture of the flesh is that your eyes are on the ground. It is only by the spirit that you ever get your eyes up there. Most people will, will live their whole lives and never have an eye on heaven. They will only be looking at the ground in front of them. This can be really obvious. I think um, when you're just looking down, and what is in front of you is depression, worry, fear, anxieties. And you can look at somebody's countenance and you can know like their eyes are down, they're not looking up. And you could be in the church and be looking down. <laughs> It's like you didn't get saved, and automatically the Lord like picked your head up and is like, look at heaven, and, and then he just holds your head that way. You, we make choices to be like, Lord, lift my head. From the inside, he's not reaching out a hand and pulling our head up. He, it's a constant asking him, Lord, my eyes, my flesh is leading, and my eyes went loop, and would you pull it back up? Pull it back up. A hundred times a day, we're just asking, pull my eyes back up, pull my eyes back up. Something that's really tricky is um, when people are looking because they're being led by the flesh, but they've found a shiny thing on the ground. And so their countenance is being helped by a light, right? Do you know people that are full of just deeply have purpose, deeply have um, this sense of, like, they know where they're going. They, they have a purpose. They have ethics that they really live by. Um, they, they seem to have it together. They have got, um, like, a happiness about them, and they don't know God at all. Have you met people like this? And they don't know the Lord at all. That's the worst. Is when you're around those kind of people, and then you're like, "I know God, <laughs> and I'm depressed. What is going on? Why aren't they depressed? They don't know Jesus. Jesus, I thought you were the not being. It's because there's there's false light, though. There's false light, and if you wait a minute and look at the fruit, it's the only thing that we cannot mimic. Is is their fruit growing? But it doesn't mean that there's not shiny things on the ground that other people's faces are reflecting and catching the light of. We're gonna go where we're looking. Let's go to Exodus. Um, let's go to Exodus thirty-three. We're gonna talk about Moses. He was a shiny guy. Moses, you know, it's so funny that um, the Bible—it's such a big book, but it's really short. When you just start thinking about the narrative of people's lives, you you can get a book this big about, you know, a a, a contemporary uh, biography about someone where there's lots of information and and um, just the story of Moses—it's so it's so fast. And but when you slow down and just put yourself in this situation, it's bananas. What is happening? It's bananas. And then here he is, and he got all of these people out of Egypt. The Lord did it. He's leading them. Who put him in charge? Like, it's just so, I would be just so scared and so overwhelmed. Um, It says in verse 7, Moses took his tent, and he pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting because he was going to lose his mind if he didn't. Why? Because they're so much outside. There's millions of people outside. There's so much pressure outside. And what has legitimized him to be the leader of them is simply the word of the Lord that nobody else heard but him. And he's just saying it. It came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting and was outside the camp. Um, and, it, and it says um, in verse 11, it says, the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man to his friend, and he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man did not depart from the tabernacle. So, um, let's see, skip to verse 14, 13, now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, the Lord said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then he says to the Lord, if your presence does not go with us, God just said it and he's like, but like, I'm not even kidding. If (laughs) (laughs) If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up out of here for how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except that you go with us? So we we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are on the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he says, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will compassion And then he says, you can't see my face. I'm going to pass by. And he hides himself in the cleft of the rock. And then what happens? Skip a chapter. Moses gets shiny. Um, Verse, let's see, 34, 29. It says, now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, um, that he did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And when Aaron... And all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterwards, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with him, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak to him, he would take the veil off until he came out, and he would put, um, and he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he'd been commanded, and what um and whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until they went in to speak with him. So the It was from a place of desperation that Moses was like, I have to, it's so It's all precarious. It's so scary. I have to be so close to you, God. Show me your glory. And his face would shine. And that's what it means to have the help of the Lord for our countenance. And it's not about us being like those shiny, happy people. It's not like a fake... We know God. Let's just act happy. Let's pretend. Because pretending fails, right? It, it fails all the time. But we also know what it's like to be around somebody that's got something inside that you're like, I would like that. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm saved. <laughs> like, they, like, same Jesus, same Bible that we're reading, but they have got something going on that I do not, and I would like a piece of that, please, Lord. And, and what are they doing? Like, what are, what, what are the conversations they're having that are what has happened in their life? They're shining. You meet people out in public or sit next to somebody on a plane, and you're like, for sure they know God. <laughs> I know they're a Christian, and you do, and like, you do, you know, you just know. It's because they're shining, Our eyes, um, let's go to Isaiah 55 for just a second. Oh, I didn't put it. In the flesh, our eyes are naturally pulled to the ground. So it's like not, it's not anything to be ashamed of. It just is your natural state of being. It's the natural state of being of everyone for our eyes to get pulled to the ground. In Isaiah 55, though, um, the Lord says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. So all of the external things in our lives, it's like they're pushing buttons in our heart. Button pushers. And and it's not even like the good and the bad. Like you could take two different people and they could win the lottery. And what would it do to their hearts? Well, what would it do to their hearts? I don't know. You probably have to know those people. It could do, do two vastly different things to their hearts. It's just, was winning, you know what I mean? Like, was the money good or evil? It was neither. It was just pushing a button in their heart, and it elicits a response. This When we have eyes that are in the spirit, it's, the spirit man wants to keep pulling our eyes back up to heaven. And so all of it, um, is, the flesh, is the flesh bad? Well, we're, God's going to give us all a new body that we're going to have forever, so apparently not. It just is a war between our flesh and our eyes down or the spirit man that is, is inside of us and um, that we can pray that it would be more awake and more wanting to look up. Do you know what I mean? But it's not, like, it's not like a master switch that gets flipped. It's something that's growing. So a lot of our prayer life, whether we say those words or not, is, like if we're praying according to the Spirit, is, Lord, make my spirit man more awake. Transfer the leadership of my life from my flesh. Flesh, get behind spirit man, like the the Holy Spirit, and my spirit is following the Holy Spirit, and my emotions come behind it, and everything that my body does comes behind that, so that my eyes are looking up, and this is the only way to get all glowy, is that our eyes are looking up. Some of the things that we think on the outside are bad, they're not actually bad. We just don't like what's going on on the inside. Cain murdered his brother. He killed him. He did like the worst thing, the most permanent thing. He didn't even like beat him up. He didn't have a yelly fight with him. He killed him because he thought he had an external problem because he couldn't face that it was such a huge internal problem. And, I mean, the Bible doesn't say how long it was between um, this conversation God with ha- had with him and when he kills his brother, um, but something was building up. And he wasn't dealing with it in this place. He just kept his eyes on the ground till, till the narrative in his head turned into, it's his fault, and if I got rid of him, then I would get rid of the problem, right? Okay, so I'm gonna. I want to go to um, Matthew 13. Um, I would say the the biggest way that the Lord is talking to me right now about kind of this external. the external pressures that are tempting me to keep my eyes on the ground instead of looking into heaven. Um, From the parable of the sower. Um, I won't read the whole thing, but Matthew 13, verse um, seven, and it's talking about the Lord scattering seed. And it's the word of God, right? The seed, the good seed. The Lord is coming, good seed. Um, And it says... In verse 7, that some of this seed that the Lord has planted, it's good seed, it falls among thorns, and the thorns spring up, and it chokes the life out of them. If you've gardened before, if you try to get something to grow, you know about some weeds. So we're going to talk about weeds um, in the, later in that chapter. Let's see, verse. 22, So, and this is Jesus later um, explaining the parable to his disciples. It says, now he who received seed among the thorns is he who heard the word and the cares of the world, two things, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, they choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So this is what the Lord's really been talking to me about. Like, I'm trying to talk to you, but there are some things that are sprouting up and they're choking out your fruitfulness, and it's like a couple of things. The cares of life are just anything that's external. You know, it's it's not good, it's not bad. It's just the stuff. Like we all need to eat dinner tonight, and we're going to have to think about that. Just think about that. Yeah, <laughs> Stephanie, the mom's like, I don't want to think about it. We get tired of thinking about it, but it's got to be thought of. Is it bad? No, we got to eat. All the stuff, the conflict that we're having, the busy schedule, just the stuff, the thing in the house that needs to get fixed, that unending plate of things. And you guys are, um, have lived, everybody in the room has lived some life. You're probably coming to the same conclusion that I have, which is it does not end. It literally does not end. It does not end. (laughs) Dave's going to start crying. It doesn't end. (laughs) Tim, has it ended yet? No. No. You will always have a plate full of the cares of this life, and the flesh tells you you've got to eat every bite. Do you know what I mean? Like, you have to clean your plate up. And it's like, you can start hating you can, hate your, you can hate your kids, you can hate your spouse, because it seems like they're the ones that keep coming with, like, just imagining scoops of mashed potatoes just smacking on your plate. And life is saying, you gotta eat every bite, you gotta do it, you gotta do it all. I mean, and then, we, and then we go, well, I can't do nobody can do it all, and we tell ourselves these cliche things, which are true, nobody can do it all. And like, God, why did you make life like this? Do you ever ask God, like, what was the purpose in always having food on this plate that we feel obligated, like, we're, we have to eat it? But we're so tired. We don't want to eat that anymore. And we can't. Like, why did you make life this way? Why did he make that life that way? Why are there always cares of this life? Even if you have a great life. Even if things going great, somehow. If you ask a woman when she goes, I need a bigger purse. And then immediately we go, no, we don't. Because if I just got a bigger purse, I would just put more stuff in it. And it's true. Like, I just, you know, you'd find more stuff to put in your life. It just happens. And the other thing that he says are the deceitfulness of riches. And he tells uh, the the rich young ruler Um, And he's having a conversation with him. And he's like, I love God. Like, I'm following the law. Like, yeah, I'll come follow you. What else do I have to do to be, like, qualified? And Jesus tells him, leave all your stuff. And he's like, and he goes away, and his heart is broken because he has so much stuff. And it hurts his heart that he can't leave his things. It hurts his heart that he can't leave his things, but he can't. His heart is so tied to them and the caring of them, and the taking care of, and he can't, and the Lord says both of these things, they, they fill our lives with this feeling of obligation that choke out what the Lord is trying to do in our lives, and we should be very careful. And it's very tempting, you guys, for us to, uh, is, the cares of the life of this life feel very common, and we can all connect with that, But I will say this is why riches are so deceitful because we all in this room would probably be like, well, we're not like rich people. Lies. (laughs) We are rich. We are very wealthy. We're probably some top 5% of people in all the world. We have a lot of money and we have a lot of things and a lot of opportunity. But that doesn't mean that we have to get caught up in it. Do you know what I mean? You can be very poor, and be caught up in wanting more. You can be very rich and be content, you know? But the Lord does say it's really difficult. And in in that passage, when he's talking to the rich young ruler, he looks at his disciples and he's like, to be honest, it's difficult for rich people, for a rich man to get into heaven. It's difficult. Why? Because we get all entangled in it. And so, like, this is a warning the Lord that constantly tells me. He's like, don't act like you're, you know, don't deceive yourself into believing that you don't have a lot, and, and it is more difficult for you to get into heaven than it would be for other people. Why? Because when you have nothing, like, where are your eyes gonna turn? And I have, I, in my life, I have a lot of opportunity for my eyes to be looking at a lot of different things. So this is addressing two things. The cares of this life worries, go to, let's go to um, Matthew 6. Let's go to 6. So this is the Sermon on the Mount, which is literally the instructions about how to climb a holy mountain, the mountain that we're supposed to be looking at and we're supposed to be coming up to. There's like a series of things that happen in this passage. First of all, in verse 19, he says, lay your treasures up in heaven. He's like, You've got a problem because the things that you have, like imagine you just, before you came to church, you swung by the car lot and you got, not even the lot, you went to the factory and you just got a brand new car and you drove it here, it's already rusting in the parking lot. Like it's already starting to decay, you know? Everything in our life is decaying. He says, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and thieves will break in and steal it, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy. Thieves aren't breaking in and stealing it, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So it's kind of this, I feel like I wrote another page, yeah. So um, that our heart ties would get transferred from things that are corruptible and fading away, that they'd Get disentangled from that and get tied into um, what the Lord says isn't isn't ever going to fade and can't be stolen from us. Like, what are the things that we can be storing in heaven that can't be taken from us? And then the second thing that He says right after that, He talks about the lamp of the body is the eye. And remember, like our flesh is like, look down. The Spirit man's like, look up. And this is what He's talking about. Your eye. Um, is the lamp of your body. So if your eye isn't good, if your eye's not looking at the right thing, your whole body is going to either be full of light or it's going to be full of darkness. And how great is the darkness? If you can't peel your eyes off the ground and look up, like, how great is the darkness of the dirt path in front of you? And then after that, he says, no one can serve two masters. Two masters. For he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. So then here we are kind of toggling between like, "Whoa, I do love heaven, but I also love earth. But I'm not going to say that. That's not very Christian. It's not very holy. Um, I'm responsible for some things here, and I'm going to attend to those. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like we do all these like gymnastics in our vocabulary to kind of make it okay Instead of just saying, like, I was born, you ever have like a, um, like a, just a pile of like, especially necklaces get really tangled, like something that's just so tangled, especially a kid, and they just plop it in your hand and are like, Dad, untangle this for me. <laughs> okay. And you're gonna spend like the next hour untangling this thing. We were born so tangled up and our, our thinking is so wrong from birth. That it's like, okay, why do we try to cover it up? Why don't we just unashamedly be like, yeah, I'm still tangled in some stuff. The Lord is still working on me, but I am like day by day, I'm praying that my eyes would be up. And he is working it out in me because I am less I am less worried about things on earth than I, than I used to be. Instead of tra- taking our Christian ease and just kind of like covering it up so that we can have both. And he's saying, you got to be really careful. You can't serve two masters. you got to make a decision. And then he tells us not to worry. So he's like, come out of lust. So this like wanting more and more and more and more, it's lust. Just like that is the definition of lust, wanting more. Um, and then the worry is like but don't be afraid either because we have those legitimate concerns like I was saying we all all have to decide what we're going to have for dinner tonight and that's not not real but he's saying also on the other end like don't worry about that and our whole life is like this spectrum from one thing to another like we have real things that need to be taken care of you know if you have a baby crying you need You need to take care of it. Like, God's not saying don't take care of it. I remember, you guys remember this. um, It's been a number of years now, but Samantha had a testimony um, where the Lord, she just started asking God what she should wear the next day. Literally, a care of this life. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. And she just she felt bogged down by having to decide But guess what? Like, that was years ago. And I still, every single time I see Sam, she has got clothes on. (laughs) And I bet you've seen her with clothes on, too. So it's not like the care of what she was going to wear disappeared. And she didn't go nuts and be like, okay, I'm going to have a paper sack, and that's all I'll wear. But she did give it to him. Because she was getting lost in the care of it, so like Mary and I were talking the other day about this. <laughs> but weren't we like like last week or something? I was talking too much, and I was talking about this, and it, it just it's like um, do you ever read news stories of p- hikers um that get lost and die in the woods or something? And 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 it's it's tragic how close to the trail they were, but like you get a little bit away from the trail, especially if you're not experienced, it and you can, it doesn't matter that you're only whatever, so many feet away from it or only a quarter of a mile away from it. If you can't see the path, you can't get back. And that is what the Lord is saying. It's not like all the trees are gonna disappear, but you can get lost in the weeds. You can get lost in the woods of the cares of this life so quickly. And I would, some people might disagree with me, But I think when Jesus is talking about, like, I leave the 99 to go find the one, he's talking about sheep. And if you're not not saved, you're not a sheep. He's talking about us. He's talking about people that are saved. And when you get off the path and you're like, Lord, I actually can't find my way back to it. I got lost. I got lost in the woods. Can you please come get me? We don't all run after each other we stay put and let the lord go find that person and bring them back to the path um i'm going to pop back to matthew 13 and talking about the weeds i garden I have such good intentions. There's a lot of weeds in my garden, and one thing I will tell you is that I never planted any of them. They are not, they just showed up. (laughs) They flew in, (laughs) and they are pervasive. And the other thing I will tell you is besides tomatoes that some kind of, tomatoes tend to volunteer, like they'll just show up next year in places I didn't plant them, but besides that, I don't have a lot of good things, fruitful things growing in my garden that I did not intentionally put there. Hey. it's The other thing I will say is one of the best ways to combat weeds is to densely plant what you want there. Um, Tom Stoltz has had a, a testimony for so many years, and for some reason it just really hit me in this season about making lists and praying lists um, and just being diligent about it. Um, And and he was just sharing how impactful that was when it was just him and Sam in Israel. And they were like, (laughs) okey-doke. Like, we have this list and we're praying it and how um, impactful it has been um, for them. And uh, the Lord just, I, I just felt like it was another way that the Lord was like, hey, you need to like really be intentional and walk through that door. And um, it is another way of of us intentionally sowing seed into our garden. Like, you have to pull the weeds out. But if you're pulling out weeds and you're not intentionally putting something that should be there, there, something you want there, um, you know what I mean? It's just, the weeds are all going to come back. (laughs) They're just waiting in the soil. And so... um, I would just encourage you, like, if the Lord is talking to you about that, or maybe ask him, like, God, if you you don't have a list that you're praying in your household, for yourself, for your spouse, for your kids, have one. Consider that. But I will say that Tom's been saying that for years, and just, like, right now, like, that seems like I should take that very seriously, so (laughs) no condemnation if you don't jump on that one, because I said so. Um... Okay, let's go to Isaiah 55. go back and forth in this verse. So starting at 10, it says, "For the, as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and they do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And the word of the Lord is the seed that we're talking about being planted. And he says, my thoughts aren't your thoughts, and your way, my ways are not your ways, says the Lord. For As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And do you get it? Like, his thoughts are in heaven, and they fall down like seeds, and they rain in us. So it's not a bad idea to just be poking at heaven and going like, Lord, yeah, right? Won't you rend the heavens? Won't you rain down on us perspective and, and um, the way that you think? Would you rain down on us? Seek the Lord while he might be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will um, abundantly pardon um, if you go back to the beginning though um, verse 3 um, it says incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you the sure mercies of David indeed I have given him as a witness to the people a commander a leader and a commander for the people surely you shall Call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. And so there is a promise um, that the Lord is saying, I'm going to make a promise with you, and it's going to be like these mercies that I gave David. And the mercy that the Lord gave David, I mean, David, we talked about like that full plate that you can never quite finish eating and life just keeps coming at you. This is the story of David, his life from like birth to death. It was, there was no, he didn't like go on vacation. It wasn't like he retired at like 62 and it was just like smooth sailing from there. Like his life was full. Even when he finally got the crown and was king, there was still so much stuff going on. And, and if you read the Psalms, what you see is like, God, why is this going on? But hope, like, but the Lord. Soul, why are you downcast? Just hope in the Lord. Yeah, we're running. People are trying to literally kill us. Nobody's literally trying to kill me. This is the this is good reminder, right? When you're like, why am I downcast? Nobody's trying to kill me today. So that's good. Better than David was doing for a long period of his life. Nobody's trying to usurp my kingdom right now, so I guess I'm, I could be okay. Why am I downcast? And what it says about that kind of covenant with the Lord wasn't like, I'm going to make every pressure on the outside stop, but I'm going I'm I'm to pull you up in this way that maybe not everybody can see, I'm going to seat you in heavenly places. That's the promise of love that I'm making with you. I'm going to seat you in heavenly places so that you have perspective about all of the external that's going on, and you can even have compassion. Do you remember when Saul and Jonathan were killed? David wept. He loved them. They were trying, he, uh, Saul was trying to kill him, and he wept about it. Why? He was seated in heavenly places. He's like, that's the kind of covenant, and the reason that I'm going to make this covenant with you, and it's really important that my bride get this, is because, like, I made David a witness. He was a burning and shining example to nations, and the Lord says, I want to make you a burning and shining witness to nations, And the Lord says in verse 12, he says, you're going to go out with joy and you're going to be led forth with peace. You will. You're going to go out with joy. You'll be led forth with peace. And the mountains and the hills, they're going to break forth into singing before you. And the trees of the fields are going to clap their hands. The wind of the Lord is just going to move through the land. And it will be like even the trees and the noise they're making, they're worshiping God with you. And instead of those thorns coming up, well, I'm going to plant cypress trees. And instead of the briars, there's going to be myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name and an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. He's like, you're not going to, it's not forever, the briars and the thorns and the thistles. You're going to be fruitful. And let's just go to, um, Tatum, you can come up, I think. Let's go to um, Daniel 12. It says that David was made a witness to the nations. In Daniel 12, it says, At that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as um, never was since there was a nation even to that time. And this just makes me think of that dream where I'm walking on the path and it's really perilous. It's not so bad until the lights start going out, and then it's impossible. And I, I'm scared and I have to stay still all night long by myself. <laughs> He's saying there's darkness that's coming. There's trouble that's coming that the earth has never seen he says, at that time, your people will be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise, they're going to shine like the brightness of the firmament. And And those will turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And, and part of the prophetic word about why we're doing a night watch is like, The stars and how they give us direction. The Lord is saying, I'm going to set you apart and I will actually elevate you like he did David to be a witness. Like the stars, they're set apart and they're elevated in a very public way so that people can find their way. That doesn't mean that everybody's going to look up at the stars and do that, but they're available. And so, and, and I feel like that's what the Lord is telling us, like, We have to really, it would be really wise right now to wrestle with the question about, soul, why are you downcast within me? Why is it so difficult to get to this point where we have joy that is sustained, peace that is just kind of how we are? (laughs) Like, what is going on? four reasons, which is we are meant to shine. We're meant to be a witness. There are going to be so many lost people that don't know what's going on. Like, wouldn't it be nice to, to have somebody in a grocery store look at you and be like, hey, can you help me? And I don't even mean to be weird, but I don't know what to do. I feel lost for you to go, like, yeah, I actually can tell you what to do. I can tell you where to go. I can tell you of a place where you can behold the one who is righteous and shines and knows what you should be doing with your life. I don't know. (laughs) So I just want to pray for us. If we could just stand really quick. Um, Lord, um, I just believe you that we're meant to shine. God, and also I bring to you the reality of like, this isn't how I feel inside. Um, My face doesn't show it. (laughs) It's like this, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, (laughs) that's what I hear. If you're happy and you know it, stomp your feet. Lord, I believe that this will be a house where we are clapping our hands and stomping our feet. You will make us a dancing people, but we are not right now. And so we're not gonna stir ourselves up and pretend that we are, but God, we know that we're meant to be a dancing people. And I just say, Lord, pull us up, open those doors, God. Bring us more fully into freedom that we would, we would constantly be before you beholding your face and shining. Lord, um, for, you, for your namesake and for the love of the people around us, Lord, I'm asking that you would make us a witness of beholding and becoming like you. In Jesus' name.